Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. And I'm here, as always, well, every other week, with academic advisor, Ross Ferguson. How are you, brother? I took the sir away. You're not a knight anymore. <laughs> I'm surprised I was a uh, welcome back after the previous podcast. Well, I, if you shock me and like, yeah, I don't, we're talking about evangelism today. If you're like, you know, I don't think evangelism is all that important. That's really, we'll have an argument about that. But I think we're probably a little more on the same page on and on this one. I think we are. Well, I hope we are. You have you watched we any everyone. Christian movies since the last <laughs> podcast? Let's not go down that road. Again. <laughs> hey, you know what road I do want to go down? You gave me, uh, before the holidays, you gave me a nice bottle of, and I, I hope I pronounce it right, I, Iron Brew. Iron Brew. I, say it again. Iron Brew. Iron Brew. Iron Brew. Uh, spell that for our audience. I-R-N-B-R-U. Iron Brew. Iron Brew. Okay. Uh, which, to clarify, we've done this before, but to clarify, even though it has brew, uh, is, a na- is a soda. It's, it's not, a it's soda. A, it's a non-alcoholic yep. soda, yep. so just for all of our Baptists who are listening. <laughs> uh, you, it's a Scottish soda, Yes, which is very hard to find over here. You yes. have to go to specialty shops, and it costs an arm and a leg. Yep. But this is a staple where you come from, yep. and you wanted me to have this bottle. And I, I drank it over the holidays, and, uh, I've, I, and I reported to you. Um, it tastes pretty good. Yeah, I, I like it. I like it. Well, I know you like it. <laughs> I like it. If, um, it it kind of looks, um, it's orangish. Bright orange. Yeah, but it's not bright orange like like Sunkiss looks like radioactive it's like orange. Rust. Okay. It's yeah, yeah, kind of a rusty orange. Iron brew. And it kind of tastes like for uh, stateside listeners who may be more familiar, it has a similar taste to Big Red. If you've ever had Big Red. Um, you said maybe some folks have said it tastes kind of like bubble so gum it's, soda. It's, everyone tells me that it tastes like bubble gum, but I just want to be very clear. Actually, bubble gum tastes like Iron Brew because Iron <laughs> Brew was made before bubble gum before bubble existed. Gum. So, um, wow. So how old is this? It's like over 120, 130 years That's old. That's how old this soda. And bubble gum came after that? Yeah. So chewing gum, yeah. gum came before, but bubble gum, the flavors that you get in bubble gum oh, came after. that kind of pink, delicious yeah. bubble gum type But yeah, thing. Iron Brew is only made in Scotland. Yeah. Um, uh, generally speaking, Speaking, um, if you drink alcohol in Scotland, it's whiskey. If you don't drink alcohol, it's iron brew. Yeah. It's on tap when you go to different places. Oh. It's like strong. Yeah, everyone wants to drink it. Um, people have told me like, how would I describe it? I describe it as tasty chemicals because it basically has no flavor. It just <laughs> it's just iron brew. Okay, uh, but here it's like eight times the cost here. Mm. So. All I'll say is when it comes to Christmas and birthdays and things like that, people generally know what they're going to get from me because uh, yeah. I'm not paying eight times the cost. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's a pretty much staple in Scotland. Like if you go to Scotland, if you go out here, you'll get a Coke or something like that or Pepsi or whatever. Sure, sure. All the other brands that we probably shouldn't mention. But in Scotland, invariably, people are getting Iron Brew. That's what they're getting. Yeah. Yeah. And as I said, it, it resembles Big Red, which I don't even know what the flavor of Big Red is. It's just red, just carbonated color red. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess it's some kind of berry. I don't, I'm not sure. It's not the same as that, but it tastes similar to that. I can, I didn't notice bubblegummy flavor when I drank it. Now that you mention it, I would say maybe sort of a bubblegummy Big Red, maybe it's in, it's in there. But it was quite tasty. Yeah. I, I could see like this would become a staple. And yeah, I yeah, like it. It was good. Yeah. And it even had uh, the aftertaste was a little different, not bad. But it, it almost had two tastes to it. The initial drink and then the aftertaste has almost a different 
level, man. It's got levels to and it. There's a whole subculture to it as well. There's a uh, the Snowman Iron Brew um, what is ad- that? advert uh, commercial for oh, Christmas. Okay. Everybody knows it's a flying snowman. They drink Iron Brew. Is it Brew. like the polar bears for Coca-Cola that yeah, one Yeah, kind of yeah, like yeah. that. Everyone knows about it. Um, there's also like funny Iron Brew ones where a situation that you just don't have a clue how to respond to, kind of funny situations, and you're just like, oh, this is awkward. They drink Iron Brew, and then <laughs> they're just kind of settled, and they're all calm. Okay. Um, but, yeah, it's it's like a whole subculture in Scotland, uh, Iron Brew. That's awesome. Well, yeah. maybe you would want to share an Iron Brew with a neighbor that you want to share the gospel with. <laughs> you like that transition? <laughs> you, you See, I remember one of our early podcasts, you said, this is something that, you know, me and Ronnie had to work on. Have you actually bothered working on that? No, because <laughs> it's the shtick now. I don't want to get good at it. Uh, if I got good at it, then it like takes away the novelty of okay. being bad at it, which yeah. has now become the recurring thing. Yeah. You know, every sitcom's got to have the Kramer enters a wild way or whatever it is. It's the bad transition is my your is my, tra- okay. is my trademark. We're talking about evangelism. Uh, actually, this week, the, the week this episode airs, the Nine Marks Conference is on campus at uh, Midwestern Seminary. And the focus this year is evangelism. Mm-hmm. That's one of the nine marks of a healthy church. And each year, the conference focuses on a different mark. This year's evangelism. So we thought it'd be good to talk a little bit about evangelism. I wanted to talk about what I'm calling simple evangelism. Yeah. I think we both acknowledge that evangelism isn't always simple, if ever, uh, in terms of the relational complexity or just getting over the fear sometimes or the reluctance and that sort of thing. But what are some ways that we maybe overthink it? What are some ways that can help people kind of ease into sharing the gospel with as little amount of fear, maybe not without fear, but as little amount of fear or reticence as possible? And maybe we can just share some personal stories and some personal advice, that sort of thing. I think um, when we think about evangelism, uh, if I look through the years, we it's mainly models. We talk about models of evangelism, the Roman road and where you would take people in the Bible and in, intros into conversation. And then when you get this word said, you can go to this. And I think models is probably a bad place to start um, because it becomes formulaic. It, it's no longer simple. It's getting a bit more complex and then the fear kicks in. What happens if I don't get to say this and all this sort of thing? Uh, for me, I think starting places, recognizing where people are and where you are. So if you're in Christ, you're in a wonderful position, wonderful, great, bountiful blessing that you have to be a co-heir to the throne of Christ, to to recognize that you are now a child of God, that you have an eternal security, all these things, wonderful place. And then flip that. Where are those who don't know Christ? And I think we often have this assumption, oh, they're enjoying their life. They're going to do their own thing. They're not interested in what I have to say. It's like, before you came to Christ, were you happy with your life? Were Mm. you sitting at home? Everything was fine and, you know, life just ticked on and there was no issues. I think if we remind ourselves the amazing beauty of being in Christ and then realizing all these people that don't know Christ don't have that beauty, are not living in that wonderful blessing that is knowing Jesus, and are in fact probably not all that happy with their lives, then that changes your view of, I'm not going to bring a model to this situation. I'm just going to see them as people that are lost, that that genuinely need this beauty that we have in Christ. And I think when you go through models, that's what you kind of tend to lose. You lose that sense of this beautiful thing that is on offer, that sin does not need to be your end goal, that actually your end goal can be a child of God. And I think when you interact with people like that, when you view people like that, 
that changes things. So just uh, one little story going back, um, just I think it was November time, older lady shopping at a hardware store just looked really down. Um, and I just thought, that seems strange. We're coming up to Christmas. People don't really look down and they tend to be busying themselves for Christmas. I just asked the little lady, hey, Christmas time, have you got much hope at Christmas time? Are you looking forward to it? And she just said, uh, longer conversation, short, not really, don't have much hope. And again, it was that, well, I do have a lot of hope because I know Jesus. And if you don't have a lot of hope, my guess is you don't know who Jesus is. There's no formula. There's no yeah. model. It's just recognizing I have something to share that is beautiful and might bring hope to this older lady. Um, so for me, simple evangelism is a starting place of recognizing where we are and where the lost are. And when you grasp that, it becomes a lot easier to do. Yeah. I mean, there are people who I think we forget, as you said, that they're looking for answers. Yeah. There's something broken. They, they sense a brokenness in, you know, in the world. I think sometimes we get sort of fixated on the trouble with evangelizing or the, the difficulty with evangelizing those who seem like they have everything going on. They don't seem like they're missing anything or they're lacking for anything or they're looking for anything. But a lot of times we don't know just yeah. because of what's on the outside. We don't know how the Holy Spirit may actually be sort of softening them for yeah. reception or just what's going on in their private life where, you know, a message of hope would intrigue them and yeah. ask them. One of the things that I like to, I guess, mention when it comes to, you know, counsel towards evangelism, I think touches on your concept of not having a sort of model or a formula for it, which is to actually show genuine interest in somebody. If you're just seeing lost people as sort of evangelistic projects or prospects, yeah. uh, you may not see as much fruit. Now, again, we just want to put a big caveat over this whole conversation. The Holy Spirit can do whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do, and he'll use poor methods. He'll use yeah. you know uh, inept people, et cetera, et cetera. So let's just set that aside. But you know, trying to approach a conversation with someone where you ask questions, you show genuine interest in them, concern about them, even the the prospect, if it's somebody that you're in proximity to, of being in, in a relationship with them, to being their friend, whether they become a Christian or not, those are all things that people pick up on. They yeah. know whether you're trying to give them a religious sales pitch or not. Yeah. And you know in your heart that even, you know, just sharing the gospel in a one-off is not a religious sales pitch. You really are trying to have someone's soul saved. But for people's response and receptivity, the more you're able to show genuine interest in them as a person, yeah. asking good questions, being a good listener, not jumping in, all those sorts of things, those indicate to folks whether you actually care about them or just sort of get another notch on your your yeah. belt, so to speak. And I, and I think to some extent, church historically, certainly my church experience historically has been, that's that's the that's the aim of the Christian. Go and share the gospel. Who did you share the gospel with this week? Yeah. And I think in some senses, it's got a strong foundation to it. Great commission, we are to go out and we're to share the gospel. But I think it takes on this mentality of, I must quote, checklist my conversations with people. Now, I agree with you. Don't get me wrong. I, I think sometimes you can just say, hey, do you know Jesus? I want to tell you about him. And the Holy Spirit's prepared that individual for that. But I think relationships is important. So I'm not a big believer in saying um, you need to build a relationship before you share the gospel, but you're building the relationship as you're sharing the gospel. Yeah. They kind of go hand in hand. 
I think it was you in, in class or, or in church, I'm, I can't quite remember when you said it, but it talked about going to the same Starbucks so that you know the same barista and over time you're building that relationship. You know, you, you don't, you're not in each other's lives, right. but they're beginning to recognize your face, your, your order. You're beginning to maybe mention things like, oh, where are you going today? Or oh, I'm teaching a class or what are you teaching on? And slowly but surely that relationship builds with the opportunities to share. And so just from a, a simplicity, I think... Um, being a patron to a business or to an institute and, and doing so regularly builds that opportunity. Um, so I, I know a pastor who does all of his one-to-ones in a fairly quiet Starbucks. There are other coffee shops you can go to. <laughs> but it's a fairly quiet Starbucks. He knows every barista. He asks them every week uh, what what you want him to pray for. Um, he brings in pastors, young guys, young couples, all these sorts of things. And they see him operating as a pastor, as someone that loves other people, and he cares even for the barista to say, hey, how's your day going? Can I pray for something for you? And that relationship took a while to build up to get yeah. to that. Yeah, for some, the, the familiarity breaks down kind of those barriers. It's, it creates an ease in conversation. You can go deeper with people that you have greater familiarity with. I think this can you know, sort of be the concern of those who are like, how do I share the gospel in my workplace? How do I? Well, you know, maybe trust the Lord, you know, we don't want to be disobedient to, you know, to the commission, but maybe the first day you meet him is not the right time. Maybe you want to do build up some rapport so that there's more receptivity there. You don't think you need to be pushed by a sense of urgency, uh, inappropriately so. The gospel task is an urgent task, but rather than thinking this all depends on me, maybe looking for some familiarity. On the other hand, Let's talk about those one-offs a little bit. I've actually found in my, just, you know, from my own experience, I find it easier to share the gospel with somebody I'm going to see once (laughs) than that I'm going to see on a recurring basis. I I don't know why that is. I think it just has something to do with like, I don't care if this messes up our relationship because we don't have a relationship. (laughs) And I think in the midst of that, I don't want to treat them like a religious project. This is sort of a tricky balance for me. So I have found that most of my evangelistic efforts have been at the barbershop getting my hair cut or in an Uber or a taxi. And I'm always playing this game like I want to know about them. And I want to, especially because I want to find out how can I apply the gospel to their life specifically and not just have this package deal, but how can I speak into a matter of their heart? But I still have to listen to them and ask them good questions. And now I'm playing the game of like this ride's going to be 25 minutes or 20 minutes you know, uh, I'm, I'm playing the time game of like, I, I want to show you that I'm, I am interested in you and I want to know about your life, but I also want to get the message of the gospel in there. Mm-hmm. I find it easier um, to share it with somebody that I'm going to say, you know, it was good meeting you. I'll be praying for you. Yeah. Uh, maybe there's a follow-up, but probably not. Then it is people that I see over and over and over yeah, again. I can see that too. And uh, interestingly, my dad actually became a Christian based on one of those one-offs. Wow. Um, they were selling something. A lady came around to to purchase it. And as she was leaving, she recognized the kind of sorrow in my dad's life at the time. And she just simply said, do you want to know about Jesus? And that was the line. She shared the gospel. Two days later, he came to Christ from going to church and doing different things. During those two days, he came to Christ. And again, it started from someone just going, I don't think I'm ever going to see you again. So yeah. do you want to know about I'll Jesus? I'll put this out there. Yeah. yeah. And I think there is a almost a security in knowing I could fluff up the lines here. You know, something could go wrong. They might hate me, but I'm out of this car. I'm out of this situation in 20 minutes type thing, as you say. I, I think I think the point you're hitting on, though, is, is really important that they're not just a project. We're not a project to Jesus. Yeah. And we were never a project. And I think we sometimes for, 
get that, that the Great Commission is our project. The Great Commission comes out of a place that we love Christ and we are so desperate for more people to know. So it's not that the project is the person, but the project or the task is a, is a life centered around sharing as often as we can that Jesus loves people and that there is a solution to their sin problem. And I think when you live like that, that people are not projects and it's more of a coming from a heartfelt place of knowing Jesus, I think those conversations go a little bit easier. I had a conversation with a guy in McDonald's. Mine always seem to revolve around food places, by the way. <laughs> That's okay. Um, and the guy in McDonald's, he, he was just miserable. He hated his job. And I mentioned, you know, that I used to work at McDonald's when I was a teenager, all these sorts of things. And uh, he just said, what do you do now? And I was like, well, actually a student at a seminary, I'm studying scripture, studying Bible. You can do that. I didn't really know you could do that. And again, it was just that I'm, I've got like two or three minutes till this order is coming or in McDonald's sometimes 20 minutes. Um, and I can just <laughs> literally say, actually, yes, you can study the Bible. And you know, when you do study the Bible, you, you're going to find out about Jesus and you're going to find out that you're in a pretty dreadful position before him until he came with a solution. And, and it mm. becomes so much easier. Uh, interestingly, that time I visited McDonald's, they got my order wrong twice. So I actually had to go <laughs> you get back. more time with him. Well, I don't know. It got a bit awkward because I was yeah. like, I'm walking up and you could tell from his face is like, oh no, here it comes again. Yeah. But yeah, I think. But you had an opportunity to adorn the gospel with kindness with, well, in that sure. situation. Yeah, absolutely. That's <laughs> He's I, like, oh, you just shared this religious message with me. Yeah. And now you're going to be mean to me. Do you know that sin problem? You know, we yeah. need to talk about this because my artist, <laughs> no. But I, I 100% agree. Treating people like projects does not, I think, bring about genuine opportunities. I think treating people as that lost people that need to know about Jesus, I, I think that brings beautiful conversations out. Well, and I think that even speaks to the impetus or the motivation to share as well. I mean, there's obviously there are some folks who treat others like projects and they're very motivated, but for most of us, if if we see evangelism as like almost like a legalistic duty of some kind, like I got to get this out or I'm a bad Christian or I see people that, that I need them to behave, you know, even the the end result, like I'm, I'm frustrated with, with the way people live or yeah. I'm, unco- you know, that sort of thing. Um, you'll be less motivated to share. Whereas if you actually care for people and mm. you love people and you want to see people not hurting themselves in their sin and and you want their eternal destiny to be one of joy, uh, you know, with the Lord, you'd be more motivated yeah. out of, you know, love is a better motivator than guilt. Yeah. Love is a better, you know, motivator yeah. than shame. And grace is a better motivator than law, right? Yeah. So even the the impetus to, to share with others. Um, I don't know if you want to share, um, if we want to call it a, a hack, we're talking about simple evangelism yeah. here. So some eases into transitions. Yep. What are some some ways to get into the conversation that's yeah. easier than, than that? I, I think knowing what's going on in the world, and I don't mean like studying the news or something like that, but just being kind of generally aware of what's happening and just asking someone's opinion on it. And so, uh, I don't know, maybe it's uh, Kansas City's got the World Cup. What do you think about that? Uh, oh, I don't really like soccer. It doesn't really... Oh, man, I just called it soccer. I shouldn't call it soccer. It's football. <laughs> um, or or maybe they're like, yeah, I'm really excited about that. And it's just slowly transitioning that towards a, a more Christian response. So you're really excited about Kansas City. Uh, football's coming. You find that really exciting. Why do you find that exciting? Oh, I love the sport. It just makes me feel great. I love being involved in it. Yeah, I, I really love football too. But I, I got to be honest, it's not it's not my favorite thing in the world. My favorite mm. thing in the world is actually going to going to church um, because I, I love Jesus. Uh, you know, and you start morphing the the conversation through. 
And that's a kind of positive thing, but there's also negative situations. They often revolve around health, uh, politics, even just situations that are pretty dire across the world. And just asking the question, hey, that's, what's, what's your thoughts on that? And just asking somebody their thoughts or their feelings on something allows you to have a conversation. Yeah. And it's once you have that conversation, it's just moving that conversation more to a Christian thought on it. Yeah, there's a fellow unbeliever who works at an establishment that I am at frequently. And I was asking about his health recently. I know he had some you know, some health concerns, how he was doing. And he, he mentioned he had a clean scan at his, his most recent. And I said, praise the Lord. Yeah. And he just sort of took a step back <laughs> and he said, you know what? Because he's not a very religious guy at all. Uh, he's like, I'll allow it. And I said, well, let's talk about that. What's, what yeah. you'll allow and what yeah. you won't. Even just like a Christian response. Yes. You know, it began with my just being interested in his health. Mm. But my Christian response to like, hey, that's a praise report, you know. Yeah. That sort of prompted kind of like, well, hold on a second. You know, it, 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 it created pause. Um, I love asking questions that sort of puts someone in the seat of kind of driving the religious conversation, which then I can now respond to, respond to which is sort of a kind of a jujitsu thing. I've done this a lot with, with folks cutting my hair. It, if you're like me, so, you know, you can say when you're a pastor, I'm a pastor, when someone yeah. asks you what you do, but you can say a seminary student, whatever it is, you're in a religious conversation, whether you intend to or not. Like if you're a Christian from, you know, in, in a secular workplace or something, it may be harder to get to this if you're a ministry leader or a pastor, you find yourself in religious conversations all the time just because of what you do, because one of the chit-chat questions is, what do you do? Yeah. So I usually would begin, somebody would ask me, what do you do? I say, I'm a pastor. And then there's like a pause, especially, you know, yeah. you know they expect a pastor to look old. When I was in Vermont, they always expected me to be older or they, you know, that I was too young to be a pastor. And they had in their mind a priest. Yeah. So a single guy, a they're like, caller. oh, you can be married? Yeah. You know, all yeah. those sorts of things. They didn't know all that stuff. And usually they try to make some kind of, you know, they say something about church, you know, mm. I don't go to church, but so-and-so does, my mother-in-law or whatever. Mm. And at some point I would ask the question, um, you know, what would you say if I, you know, if I had to ask you, what would you say the message of the church is? Or yeah. like, what's the point of church or what's the message of church? I asked them a question. So I put them in the driver's seat in a way. They never give the right answer. Yeah. I've never once, when I ask the, this question, I've never once heard anyone articulate the gospel. I've heard good things. They'll say, you know, be a good person, mm-hmm. obey Jesus, you know, read your Bible, whatever. They say all sorts of things. But then that now that allows me to say, yeah. actually, that's a good thing. But do you know the the primary message of yeah. of the church is that Jesus died for sinners, and yeah. you know, I mean, you know, some formulation of the gospel that has been precipitated by simply asking a question. Yeah. What do you think the message of Christianity is? Yeah. Almost like you're taking a poll. Yeah. And I know that there are some evangelistic enterprises that use the pretense of poll taking. Yeah. You're at a mall actually asking survey yeah, yeah. questions. I don't really like that. That seems like a subterfuge yeah. um, sort of thing. I'm sure there's been fruit that has come from that, but but it's along those lines. I think relationally that would work if you had friends that are non-Christians yeah. saying, hey, you know I'm a Christian. Um, yeah, you know, what do you I'm, think? I'm what not being say, shy yeah. about that. What, what is your view on the church? Don't, don't worry, I'm not, I'm not going to kind of berate you. I, I'm yeah. just genuinely interested what you think that the church is not necessarily me, but w- what's the church? I-, I think that would work relationally because you've got that kind of openness already to share. Yeah. The thing I would say though is with evangelism, you kind of need to back it up with your lives. Yeah. And I think that's the issue that I run into with a lot of people when we're talking about evangelism is that they're not necessarily living in the attitude that will produce good conversations. Mm. So um, I've heard it before advised 
uh, share the gospel uh, and if needed, use words. And it's kind of like, well, you can't share the gospel That's unless right. you use words. Yeah, yeah. But what you can show is gentleness, mm. is care, is a demeanor that is different from how others are reacting. And I think that can be a conversation starter. So an uh, example, I, I have a friend of mine, uh, he's passed away now, actually. He was known for various health difficulties that he faced, but worked a, a job in the, in the local government. And he was known as the gentle guy. Everybody knew this guy as the one that was gentle. On the night that he actually died, he was the last one in the office and noticed that the coffee cups were all still unwashed. And he went through, he washed them all out, and then he spelled on the table with coffee cups, love. And that <laughs> well, night he died. Oh, wow. And all of his work colleagues, every single one, came to his funeral. Mm. And they said that was the picture of who he was. Everybody knew he loved his church, loved Jesus, loved others. And he ended his days with love from cleaned coffee cups. Now, he witnessed to the, that team for years. I think one became a Christian, if memory serves me right. But his gentleness towards others in the office was the talking point. Yeah. So I think sometimes we look for talking points, but actually we are the talking point if we live in a countercultural way. And, and I think for me growing up, a lot of that was uh, not swearing, not going to certain things. Why don't you go to that sort of thing? Well, I'm actually a Christian. I, I don't believe that it's right to do. Really? You, and your life becomes that. So I would say if you're a bit nervous about talking points or how to introduce yourself or things like that, and, and you're just not that type of person, live in such a way that is so strange to the world that you're going to have to be the talking point yourself. Yeah. I had a professor once introduce me to another professor, not here at the seminary, by the way, <laughs> in college, in, in undergrad. A professor introduced me to another professor as a moralist. He said, this is Jared Wilson, one of our students. He's a moralist. <laughs> and I said, well, I think I know what you mean, but I'm, that's not yeah. what I, that's not how I would define myself. And, but there was something, you know, I, I was somewhat encouraged. I stood out yeah. in the class, according to this prof, because I didn't talk a certain way or, or like a certain thing. And I even challenged him a few times on, on some things that I thought were inappropriate in class that he had said and different things. But, you know, maybe that had kind of opened the door a, a little bit. Trying to take somewhat of the pressure off. I think so many times folks who are looking for help with evangelism, they're looking for that silver bullet. Like, how do I make it so that, number one, it's not difficult. Yeah. It's not, I don't, I'm not nervous and, and people respond favorably. There, that just doesn't exist. <laughs> it just doesn't exist. In some ways, sharing the gospel, even if not a majority of the time, a great deal of the time is going to feel like kind of those record scratch moments in movies where yeah. like you've changed the subject it makes it turns something awkward that wasn't awkward. It's just one of those things because most folks who are not believers, they're going with the way of the world. They're yeah. not giving thought to things of God. You introduce even even as stealthily as you can, or as pastorally as you can, or gently as you can. It's going to sound like you know you've scratched yeah. the record. So trying to take some of the pressure off. I want to come back to our caveat about how the Holy Spirit uses mm -hmm. whatever to say like one of the great motivators for me, sort of a turning point for me evangelistically was coming to the realization that I'm not responsible for someone's response to the gospel. Absolutely. I'm just responsible for them hearing the gospel. And it's a great thing um, if you're able to lead someone in a prayer or help them respond if, if they're wanting to respond favorably, that sort of thing. But in the end, like their heart change is not, yeah. we don't have that power and there's no amount of rhetoric or clever wording or a formula or anything or even apologetics answers yeah. that we have that can put the Holy Spirit in somebody or can awaken a heart. 
what we're called to do is just make sure somebody hears. They can't believe if they don't hear. Yeah. And that's what we're called to do. And so you don't have to be the world's greatest evangelist. You don't have to have the great responses. You don't have to have all, you know, Tim Keller-like apologetics. You don't have to have any of that. You just have to know the gospel. If you know the gospel, you can share the gospel. To be honest, I've thought similar in in recent years, and I've changed the way I pray about evangelism. So I think the thing I heard a lot in church is pray for opportunities. I've stopped praying for opportunities because opportunities are everywhere. Everywhere you go, there is going to be someone that you can speak to. So I've stopped praying for opportunities. I now pray for two things. One, the boldness for me to speak and, and just... Don't forget that actually the spirit can put that in you. Yeah. Uh, that kind of weird sense of you know that you're a shy person and then suddenly you're just able to speak about the gospel. That's the Holy Spirit working. But the second prayer I always pray is praying for hearts to be ready. Because you can go into a situation and say, there's an opportunity, bang, I've shared. And it's the, we want the hearts to be readied by the spirit to hear yeah. that message. So, you know, the lady that I spoke to at a hardware store, again, it's the praying very quickly okay, Lord, I'm going to say it. I need the boldness. Have our heart ready. And that's it. Because God knows where my heart is in that I don't quite know if I've got the right words, but I know the gospel. I know it's important for this lady. And I'm really hoping that her heart is ready to hear this. And I think shifting that from the opportunity to hearts being ready shifts the guilt trip of having to keep sharing to the Imagine if that heart is ready to hear. Yeah, let's see what happens. I know. The sense of expectation. And, and yeah. that's that's exciting. You yeah. move from the task to the wonder of sharing the gospel. Mm. But see the scratch moment you're talking about? Uh, for me in the UK, because again, we've talked about this before in the podcast, culture is a little bit different. When I say pastor, I generally get, you mean priest? And mm-hmm. when I say no, they go, oh, that's it. The conversation's <laughs> dead. Um, okay. So, uh, but yeah, no, I... I I do want to encourage people, actually in of yourself, evangelism is going to be pretty tough. It is for anything that you're trying to share with people you don't know, but you're not in yourself. You're in Christ with the Spirit's power. Rely on that. Don't lean on your understanding of how you should talk or the which model to use. We're not knocking those things. It's just don't rely on those things. Yeah. Rely on the Spirit using you. And I think that's a wonderful thing to experience and if you've ever had a situation where you've actually led someone to Christ that spurs you on all the more and I think that's one of the things I pray for is when people are doing evangelism that the Lord would provide for them that moment that they get to lead someone to Christ because in that moment that's going to spur them on for the rest of their evangelism to just see that dead individual in their sin come alive in Christ is it's just a wonderful moment to, yeah. to experience Without the power of the Holy Spirit, we have nothing. And in the gospel, we have received the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Spirit has come upon us. The Spirit, you know, dwells inside of you, and the Spirit is adorning the message. Is it, I mean, that's where the power of the gospel comes from? Is the Holy Spirit? It's not magic words. Mm. It comes from the third person of the Trinity, who is empowering those words to change hearts. So there's a lot of confidence we can have. Yeah. I think uh, in this. If you enjoy the podcast, dear listener. Please give us a good review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.